It's time for Getting Down to Business with Mark Mondo. This new show discusses trends, technology, and tactics to help the listener learn more about improving sales, saving money, and fulfilling a personal mission through entrepreneurship. Today, we'll discuss spirituality, faith, and how it intercedes with business with Bob Lampert, the president of a local chapter of a Christian-based networking group called G7 Networking. Welcome to Getting Down to Business with Mark Mondo on WVLP 103.1 FM. I'm your host, Mark Mondo. We're on the air in Valparaiso, Indiana, and you can listen to us streaming on the website at wvlp.org or use the TuneIn app on your mobile device and look for WVLP. 103.1 FM WVLP is a local nonprofit radio station based in Valparaiso, Indiana. This show, like many of the shows on WVLP, are made possible by the generosity of donors and underwriters. We accept donations at WVLP.org. Simply click on the support tab and make a one-time donation or sustained pledge to WVLP. All donations are tax deductible. Underwriters are made up of businesses and organizations that support the shows on WVLP. Getting down to business with Mark Mondo would like to thank Holmes by Hortensia, a Coldwell Banker affiliate in Porter County, Indiana, for their support. Holmes by Hortensia has served the region's residential real estate needs in Indiana for over 12 years. Contact Hortensia Moreno or Tiffany Zorio at 219-249-5118 or visit homesbyhortensia.com. Homes by Hortensia, habla español. Welcome to the show. In case you're a new listener here, here is my backstory, and I'm sticking to it. I've been a consultant for small businesses for the last 25 years, helping small businesses implement customer relationship management software, aka a CRM system, where I learn their business processes and customize the software to help them gain an advantage in sales, marketing, or customer service. But there's much more to becoming a success in business than just having a good CRM system. That's why I bring on guests to tell their stories and share tips on either technology, tactics, or trends they use to become successful. So let's get into it and introduce everyone here today. To my side is the producer, the star soprano. Oh, and she's my wife as well. It's Mrs. Cynthia Zimmerman. Hello, hello. And to my other side is a man who knows his way around the boardroom, the speaker circuit, and the classroom when it comes to helping companies grow their sales team. Today's guest is Bob Lambert. Bob has a solid record of leading and building successful businesses, generating millions of dollars of revenue and growing profits. He has over 40 years of experience in strategic business development, marketing and sales for global 50 and Fortune 500 companies. He was the past founder of Samurai Business Group, a sales and business development performance firm that developed a revolutionary sales and marketing mastery system that is now used by DePaul University and 36 other universities in their sales curriculum. Oh, he's also a co-author of a book called Put the Wind Back in Your Sales. And he currently also has a podcast called Faith Marketplace. It's in its 11th year, and he's done over 800 interviews of Christian business leaders and faith work of Christian business leaders and faith work ministries worldwide. And to top it all off, he has a received an award by the Chicago Daily Herald for Entrepreneurial Excellence as a Lifetime Achievement Award in 2019. And I cut that out even a few minutes. Bob, welcome. Thank you, Mark. I've really been looking forward to this. And Cynthia, nice to meet you. And I know we're going to have a terrific time. We Let's really get- will. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, well, let's get into this. So here's my intro to the whole thing on faith and business. So this year, I decided to get out of my shell and go into the local networking circuit to earn new business. Living on the coattails of one brand of CRM software to get new business was no longer working. I got lucky, though. My neighbor literally dragged me out of my home office cocoon and started bringing me to several local business networks I had never heard of that were literally one to 10 miles from my home. And after getting to know another colleague, he was on another show. His name was Tom Gottfried. He introduced me to something else that's unique called the G7 Network. 
And Bob's going to talk about G7 in a minute and really get into the, the nuts and bolts of how it works and why. Um, but Tom did tell me that it's Christian-based, but all faiths are accepted. Since I'm trying to meet anyone and everyone to find out what may work in the local circuit, I decided to attend. But I had a burning question the whole time. Why have religion, why mix religion and business? Isn't it like talking politics at Thanksgiving dinner? <laughs> <laughs> so I went out and found a couple people quite open about very personal matters of faith and how they are tying commerce and faith together to help people succeed. So it doesn't seem obvious to me that religious faith should or could be addressed with business. So let's kick my assumptions to the curb and listen to two people who see the world much differently than I do when it comes to faith. Again, this is not a theology class. Cynthia, can you tell us about your family backstory? Um, happy to. Uh, I grew up in the Methodist Church, and my parents were United Methodist Ministry missionaries in Malaysia, Singapore, Indonesia, and Taiwan. When we were stateside, they worked for churches in Oklahoma City and Denver, Colorado. There were not ordained ministers, but they worked in training people to become ministers in music, also lay personnel for the church. And that was the environment that I grew up in. So music and church and your faith were all intertwined. I learned about social justice and fairness and truth through my faith as it was uh, not only told to me, but examples that were given by my family, especially my parents and others in our missionary organization. And we also met people of other missionary organizations when we were overseas. Uh, I know more uh, about that interaction because I was older when we were in Taiwan. I was there for junior and senior high school. And that's when I really got to learn about people's different viewpoints on what Christian faith was and how you came to it. And um, it was really very interesting to learn how to debate in a nice way and interact with people with different viewpoints just on that faith. And I learned a lot. It helped me to grow. It helped me to question. And I'm very thankful for that experience. I did not grow up in the missionary world. I grew up in suburban Chicago. And how did you talked about how business, did the, I thought the missionaries just like on a fun trip, like a field trip. No. Were they held to account for anything? Yes. And I, I can talk more about the structure in the, in the Methodist missionary organization. Not only did you have to come with training and education in the field that you were interested in, in sharing and training in, but you also had to go to divinity school and also language study They and psychological testing. They really wanted to make sure you were a stable individual who understood and understood your faith and, and how to share it in addition to the skills that they were needing in, in the missionary field, whether it was being a pastor of a church or a teacher or an engineer, um, they wanted to make sure that they gave you all the tools necessary to be successful. But also, you had to be accountable. Your whole salary that my parents lived on and the homes that we lived on were all donated by the church. And so you had to be accountable. You couldn't just sit back and do whatever you wanted to do. And I learned a good work ethic from my parents, not only because they were hardworking and committed to what they were doing, but I also remember my father being in his office and typing up these reports on a quarterly basis to submit to the organization in New York City for the Methodist Church, stating exactly what he's been doing. How many courses is he teaching? How many tours did he go on? How many um, people did he know of that he was in interaction with did he share his faith with who became Christians or how effective had their music program and the general church program been in spreading the word of Christ and also helping people uh, get education and become Christians. And it wasn't so much as like 
we had, we saved 12 souls this month, but it was really showing how their work and their programming were bringing the word to the community and if it was being effective and helping people um, not only be raised up in education, but also in faith. And so there were metrics my father had to provide. And it wasn't that he was tested or they said, nope, you didn't fill out this form. It was more of an essay that he would mm -hmm. provide on a quarterly basis uh, to the church. And I know not all organizations do that. We we have had experiences where people say, I want to be, you know, God told me to go save people for Christ. And they were really thinking what they were going to do and how they got the funds raised by their church to come over to Taiwan is beyond me. But I there was this one specific family. They were not associated with any specific missionary organization. But they had convinced their church that they'd been called by God to go and save souls in Taiwan. And the father had a family of five children and a, and a wife and him, five children. They came over and basically had nowhere to live, only had a couple connections for where the kids could go to school, which was the same school I was going to, which was Morrison Christian Academy in Taichung. And they basically found housing and work by networking with people in our missionary school. But they had no really had no plan. They really thought that they were going to stand out on the corner and proselytize to people in English when nobody spoke English. So that was short-sighted. And the missionaries in that community really tried to help them, not only finding housing and finding work and providing meals and clothing to the family, but also trying to sit down with the husband and saying, look, you need a plan. What exactly, were, you know, this is not working. This is what we can help you with, but we cannot support this because it's not working and you're not being effective. And actually you're hurting work that we've already built up by basically ruining uh, reputation by just lack of cultural sensitivity and ability to communicate in, in Chinese. And so it was it was really hard for the community because we were trying to be supportive and helpful and help the father to to get the skills to either work in another organization or help him set up a program that would work effectively in the church. And he was just so independent minded saying, no, I want to do it this way. That basically the community had to report, not like by police or anything, but basically get in touch with the church that had supported him and saying, this is what's happening and we really think you need to be in touch with this person and resolve this issue. And as a result, the church requested them to come back. Mm -hmm. So the whole family went back and I don't know what happened after that. That was the worst case scenario that I experienced. Most of it was people came over prepared. They knew that there was a need and that they were there to serve a need and help the help the community to grow. Well, Bob Lambert should have entered that chat because <laughs> Bob puts together business plans. Now, <laughs> I I really like this way to segue into what Bob, how Bob and I met and talking about faith without a plan, <laughs> even whether it comes to, hey, we're going to spread the branding or the, the, the word of Jesus, as I see it, uh, you got to have a plan one way or the other, whether you're selling widgets or CRM or selling a, a matter of faith. So, Bob, how did yeah. you wind up on this journey? I mean, you have all this awesome Fortune 50, Fortune 500 background. Right. How did? How well, did I can tell you, Mark, that background, frankly, I walked away from my faith. I was born in a very Roman Catholic family at 17. And I was in the desert, as I say, for 36 years. Uh, I guess my only claim to fame was I beat the Jews by 40, 40, four years. Uh, they wandered <laughs> for 40. I made it in 36. But I was godless during that whole corporate uh, gig in my first couple of enterprise companies that I formed. And uh, I had a hole in my soul you could drive a Mack truck through. And I knew it. You know, I mean, I knew the presence of God, but it, that was out the window. So as a person in my 50s coming back to the Lord, you know, that's... Um, Evidently, at the time, it was pretty remarkable. People were looking at me like, nobody does that, you know. But I did, and I have never looked back since. And one of the things that was compelling about it was combining 
because uh, I had the privilege and honor going through a peer-to-peer um, business group that was Christian group. It was called C12. And I was in that for a decade. And that changed my entire look at business and how to run a godly business. Uh, I was doing just the opposite of that. And God- so uh, before you that go further, really, go ahead. What's a godly business versus an ungodly business? Well, obviously, you know, you're talking about geo, uh, uh, Judeo-Christian beliefs. You're talking about morality, how you run things. You know, obviously, if you're going to be a person of integrity, you can't be doing some of the things that I've seen other businesses doing or I used to do. You know, you can't lie, you can't steal, you can't cheat. I mean, people do that and you can maybe get by on that, but eventually it's going to catch up with you. And I've seen that many times. When you're talking about building a God-honoring business and a kingdom business, you're really looking at the foundational pieces of how you're going to take and operate that business. Now, again, the Bible is instructive. It gives you great foundation and ways to do that. But more importantly, this organization connected those two things. So in other words, it was like a Harvard MBA only with scripture. And so we really were deep in it. And we had this peer group that we held accountable to, you know, so that when you came, it's kind of like Vegas, you know, everything stayed there. But you oftentimes it got involved with our personal lives deeply because you can't be an entrepreneur or a business owner where it doesn't affect your, your family and everything else, particularly with the hours you got to put in and the way you're doing things. And so while we're getting great business biblical training, at the same time, we were getting a lot of spiritual training with our personal lives. And that was very foundational for me and really changed a lot of things for me. And that's what led me on into now pursuing this, where, like you said, Faith Marketplace was one of the first forays into that. Is how, how do you connect faith and work? Uh, back for a number of decades now, it was verboten. You can't talk about your faith at work. That was, <laughs> labels are put on you. People really got fearful about bringing their faith into work or having any conversation about that. The unfortunate part about it, even in churches, weren't talking about that. And, you know, 90% of their congregations got to get up and go to work on Monday morning and half of them are leaving Jesus in the car. I saw this big gaping hole in it because I experienced it. So how do you really successfully do that without getting into proselytizing and, you know, the typical labels and the typical things that Christians have been beat up for pretty good. And frankly, no, you know, they deserve it <laughs> because you can't sit there and proselytize somebody about faith if they don't have a belief in that or they don't want to do it, you know, that's, or judgmental. That's the other part, being judgmental and th- those kind of things. I know Cynthia had a, you know, she and I had a conversation a little bit before that as to some of the things that, you know, were very judgmental that she found or experienced. And I have too. I have too. So that was the beginning for me, Be- taking that background, taking that learning and everything like that, and then saying, okay, what are we going to do with this? Now, it's one thing in the peer group and, you know, to do things as a group and hold each other accountable. It's another thing when you get out there in the bigger world. So the Faith Marketplace podcast started me on my path with that. And, and then G7 was really kind of putting the wheels on the ground because the podcast, you go, stuff goes in one ear and out the other. You know, yeah, oh, those are some pretty good ideas, what I could implement. You know, I could do a Bible study. I could do praying for people out loud. If there was people that were really hurting instead of going away and saying, I'll pray for them. And all kinds of different things that would come up in the show as to pe- how people were implementing their faith in, in work. But um, it's easy said than done. So how do you, can you practically do that? And that's when G7 came to be. And the the good news is also that through this transition of me transitioning my business over to QCSS, the CEO, Kathy Karabetsis, and I were in C12 together for four years. So that wasn't a big stretch for me to be able to be equally yoked with somebody with the same beliefs and uh, how she runs her business with a lot of integrity, a lot of honor, you know, and a lot of people know that she is a person to face. We don't hide it under the basket. We pray for people. It's just out there. A number of people that work with her, although it's not a requirement, are Christians. But we welcome everybody, you know, because they're all human beings. They're all in the family of, of uh, human beings. And and that's really what faith is about, to be honest. Where, where are you going to go when you're in the depths of having a bad day or, you're, you know, you're looking at your P&L and there's, <laughs> you know, it's looking pretty sad or anything else? What are you relying on good and where question. are you going to hang on to? So, That's a good question because... What I've seen as a common theme through the shows I'm building, you can't 
as much as we want to believe in the Horatio Alger and that American individual exceptionalism or that Western idea of I did it all myself, take in all the profit and spread all the blame kind of mentality. I have seen other entrepreneurs we've interviewed that use a support system. And I have a big support system. Uh, and you know, Cynthia has been a part of it for the last, oh gosh, 10 years now. Mm -hmm. How long have you endured? Oh, I mean, been with me 10 years. <laughs> I've enjoyed um, 10 years with you. Enjoyed. That's yeah, what I just go. heard. I heard the word enjoyed. One other thing I want to bring system. up to you through all of this, in, mm -hmm. in which is really very instructive and huge, is that when you build a kingdom business and a gathering business, you know, your profits go up. There's a lot of things that happen that you're running business really God's way because it's his business. It's not yours if, you are, if you're a believer. And one of the things that, that really manifests itself out of there is what are you going to do with that money you make? Okay. What are you going to be able to, how are you going to be able to put that back into use in the community to help out underprivileged, underserved people? And that's, that's the higher honor. That's a higher thing to, to really aspire towards versus just building, you know, individual wealth. And we've seen what that can do with a lot of people. Yes. Yeah. I think a lot of people also who question a faith-based business also because they, they've seen on television or heard about it or experienced themselves, people that say they're, they have faith, that they're a follower of Christ, and then all their money is taken away and they have these lavish lifestyles and they're not really doing anything with that success other than for themselves. And to point to one big one, you know, that nobody can deny and that's Chick-fil-A. You know, mm -hmm. Chick-fil-A is a mm -hmm. Christian-run business or Christian-owned business, mm -hmm. uh, and they're enormously profitable. They give back enormously, and they're one of the best-run quick-service restaurants in the country and growing. Mm -hmm. um, and so, to your point, you know, I love what you said, the, the, the training you had to go through, Cynthia, your parents had to go through, and that rubbed down through you, is monumental. Because mm -hmm. when you look at Chick-fil-A franchise, and I know somebody's got a franchise up in Gurney, Illinois. It took him six years to go through a very arduous process to qualify to be a Chick-fil-A owner. He's also a pastor. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Who knew? Yeah. That's that's hard. <laughs> that's a lot. That's a well, long I'm, journey I for always, a good chicken sandwich. You know, yeah. and I, I think for my mom, she also felt um, that intelligence was a gift from God. So mm -hmm. use yep. the skills and the brain that God gave you. And not sit back and wait for something to happen. And also that she would get a lot of flack when she would say that they were missionaries because a lot of people's stereotype was, oh, you don't really work. You just get take money and talk yeah. to people about Christ. And yeah. she very di diplomatically would set them straight. But yep. again, this is, a, this is a where you do by showing, not by talking kind of. Yes. Example. Yeah. And, and you're absolutely right. And so... That's what was compelling, Mark, just like kind of wrap this in a bow is that's what's really compelled me and changed my life. And it's changing a lot of lives. As we talked off air, there's some movement going on that are, is really offering a lot of hope, I believe, uh, in, in the country. And the G7 networking, that is open to all faiths, correct? It's, it's not Absolutely. Yeah, it's, it's, not, it's, it's inclusive, not exclusive. Anybody can join. It's a for-profit organization, so it's not a 501c3. It's for-profit mm -hmm. because we want people to build their profitability. There's two really compelling things. It's spiritual growth and business growth. And it's 90 minutes every month. We have, I, we have seven chapters here in Chicago that I'm the regional leader over. But it started and was formed out of Minneapolis, interestingly enough, by a couple of guys that I interviewed on my faith marketplace. And then when they built that up there, they came down the first, I was the first guy they came to and says, Hey, look, we want to start expanding across the country. Would you be interested in? And I said, let me pray on it. And God clearly told me, yeah, you, you need to pull this up underneath faith marketplace because this is where the rubber hits the road. And this is how you can really actually implement something that people can see. And I'm proud to say we're now in 11 States. We have over 600 members and this, this bus is leaving the station. But why? And I'm, I don't say that like to be a adversarial question. I read a lot about how the country is changing from spiritual 
from an institutional faith to a personal spiritual faith. And I've read an article about, you know, the buzzword is called the nuns, N-O-N-E-S, about people that have, can't don't identify with any kind of spirituality or institution or faith, whether it's Christianity, Judaism, Islam, whatever. It seems like it's very fractionalized. Well, Christianity is fractionalized. I mean, look oh, at yes. any of the major religions and they're fractionalized. But here's what I would share with you, Mark and Cynthia. A lot of this was precipitated by the pandemic. When you got people locked down, they can't be in community and all that. They're craving that when you stay, take the covers off. And I can tell you, it's been nothing but short of amazing that I've experienced myself with this. It's people are hungry for community and they're hungry to be around like-minded people. And so that's why this is growing. That's why people are attracted to it. And not everybody sticks and stays, you know, because it's, but there, there's no, it's not denominational. You can profess faith any way that you want to. Uh, obviously, we have gospel readings. We have testimonials. We have start in prayer and we end in prayer. And they find it very refreshing. Where do you go to a, any meeting today that they start in prayer or even the Pledge of Allegiance, you know? So people that are really what I would call uh, interested in our country and know what the foundation of how this country is built and why it's, how it became great are attracted to that. Just recently, we held a mixer here in Chicago, and the guest that registered outnumbered the actual members. Yeah, it was, it was impressive. We had over 70 people there. And if we would have had all the members there, we would have had over 100. So. That's amazing. It is. But I have a question about, and I say that as a, not for me, but maybe somebody coming up and saying that you said, you know, this is a G7 networking is for people who, you know, want to have that faith foundation to be held accountable. Um, believe in how this country was built and how it became successful was based on that faith. Some people will say, well, that's really not inclusive because not everybody believes in the geo christian geo faith the puritan work ethic um and how is that going to work in this changing time with with what we are experiencing post-covid when there's a lot of fractionalization yeah well again this is a selective process they select in or out so mm -hmm. you know <clears throat> there's no ambiguity about what you're going to be coming to and mm -hmm. I openly tell people, this is what this meeting is going to be and how we're going to run it and so on and so forth. You're more than welcome to come. But if you're not going to be comfortable with that, then this probably mm -hmm. is not going to be somebody, something you want to come to. And and yeah, absolutely. I mean, you have all different kinds of groups. The ERG groups within corporations now are exploding with Christian groups. It, it is Every tech company in the country now has a Christian ERG group, employee resource group. Every one of them. And and. That's where the hope is, because like I was sharing earlier, I was in a, down at Microsoft's headquarters here in Chicago. Back in March, I walked in the room. There's 70 people in the room. Obviously, I was the oldest one. Average age was probably less than 30. And they represent every single tech company from the, from globally, including two of the major um, consulting firms that were there. And so anybody could come, anybody. But there was absolutely a... Uh, very specific theme to all of this, that people felt that foundationally in community and a lot of other things that they're in hunger for. And what I saw there was younger people. That's the whole point of this thing. It was younger people that were seeking this. That's just, that to me is very, uh, what do I want to say? Yes, it is hopeful. It makes me feel better about the younger generations coming behind us. Um, but I'm still concerned because day to day, many of us in this country are so fragmented in our beliefs or just being yep. able to share or have conversations that are uncomfortable without it becoming violent or destructive. Have you come across that? And how, you've, how have you dealt with that? Well, there's, you know, I went through a, a, an apologetics uh, program, you know, and you know, apologetics is really, when you really boil it down, it's really coming at it. And it also, that's part of what I coach teach, right? Coming at it from the other person's perspective. And at the heart of that is Socratic questioning. You know, I once knew what five wise men, six wise men taught me everything I know, what, where, why, when, and how. 
Mm-hmm. When you ask a person, ask a person a question with any one of those words in it, it is difficult for them to answer it with a yes or no. So I always start for the point of somebody comes at me with something that they've heard or they whatever way it is about religion or whatever the case might be. I I really start to drill down, especially with younger people. It's really so well, what you know, where what's that belief about? Where's that come from? And you don't have to get too deep in the conversation to find out that that's a pretty shallow belief, that mm-hmm. they don't really have a foundation as to why they're why they have that opinion or what's coming off with that. Now, there are people that have very strong and they go deep with their opinion. Before we get into the next segment, we wanted to let you know you're listening to Getting Down to Business with Mark Mondo on WVLP 103.1 FM, a community radio station out of Valparaiso, Indiana. Thanks for listening, and let's continue. And we're back from break. So what I wanted to discuss is, a pra- with Bob, a practicality and a challenge of expressing faith in a professional setting. We're trying to have the balance of, D- what they call it, D-I-E, Cynthia, diversity, D-E-I, equity. D-E-I, diversity, equality, and inclusion. Yes, I'm still learning all these phrases. And Bob has been coming from a Christian faith-based side. How do we intermingle these people together in one workplace with balance, respect? And at the end of the day, I think we all want to have a, we're doing this more than just a ledger. If we're here for just for shareholders, we probably wouldn't be here. We'd be working for in certain unethical uh, practices, <laughs> you know, maybe a little Breaking Bad or something. But uh, how do how can you put all these people put them in a blender and come out with faith in the workplace? Even if I'm not necessarily whether I'm Catholic, or Jew, Jewish, or Hindu or Islam. Can you yeah. put those together, Bob? And how how would you put that in a in a practical well, exercise in a in a big workplace? Because you did work yeah. with the Fortune Five. Yeah, you know, I, I would share with you, Mark. It's not this is not an easy task because just the diversity we have in our population and all the different perspectives and look at the acrimony we're creating already within our political system and everything else that's going on. So, uh, but people are fed up with it. I mean, they're 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 genuinely upset with watching people act act out particularly leaders and i won't go too far into politics here but my goodness what's that what example are we setting for our children mm-hmm. you know or young adults with with this kind of stuff i think that respecting all the face or no faith is really what the bottom line is here if you don't have the respect it right from the beginning then you know game over so i think that when you start talking about putting them all in the blender and mixing it up uh, again, I go back to examples of what's going on out in Silicon Valley now and some of these major uh, tech corporations. The employee resource groups have been right at the forefront of all this activity. And by the way, there's three major universities right now doing a study on this because what they're finding, these companies are finding, this is really good for business. <laughs> you know, when people can have their own tribes at work, that they're respected and they're recognized. And then interfaith, they're starting to create a lot of interfaith and inner activity between these groups. What it does is it fosters a better understanding of who the other person is, where they're coming from, and what they're all about, and what their beliefs are. Because I've know I've heard examples of this happening in a number of corporations. But what they're also finding is this good business. People, when they feel comfortable to bring their whole self to work, you got a better employee because they feel like they're not only part of something, you know, that, that are of similar beliefs, you know, within the ERG groups, but also across the company that they have a respect to do this. And so Stanford, I know that Harvard and the University of Chicago all doing, so no, Northwestern are all doing studies on this right now because, you know, it's like, duh, you know, <laughs> you know, you're going to get a better person to come to work when you, when they don't have to be afraid or in fear you know, to be saying something that is going to offend somebody today. And and it's, believe me when I tell you, this is not perfect, and I'm not trying to put that spin on it, but at least it's a great start, don't you think, for what's going on? I oh, think so, and somewhere. I think it's an ongoing conversation uh, and work that has to be done in any environment 
if you want success in any level. I mean, I work a nonprofit and it's so we're not looking to, you know, raise profit. Uh, what we're trying right. to do is raise awareness and make sure yep. that our programs are effective and really helping where the need is. Um, but even in our environment, we we talk about, you know, respect for others and how our culture and and where we our environments that we were raised and how they affect just the way we approach a problem or do our work and communicate. And so it's it's constantly learning about yourself and how to be a better self and how to communicate more effectively and work uh, better with the others in your group, in your organization or company. And, and that does nothing but good. I mean, that just, the sense of respect and safety is huge for people. Yeah. And I know you were telling earlier about the younger people that you have at United Way mm -hmm. and we're working with, they're naturally gravitated towards something like that because they want to make the world better. Yes. You know, much like we were, you know, I was, I'm a boomer and, you know, lived in the Vietnam War era and everything else going on with the protests. And we were out to change the world. And we mm -hmm. did, <laughs> you know, unfortunately, some of the things that we did weren't, weren't all that great, but, you know, and then we're, you know, we're uh, getting the results of that back here, you know, mm -hmm. but yeah, I, I, I think that, and again, I'm not trying to be Pollyanna about this or rose colored glasses, you know, there's a lot of work here to do, but, you know, when you consider the melting pot that this country was when it started, oh my goodness. You know, all these different ethnicities coming together and different beliefs and all that stuff. And look what they built because there was a common thread for all of that. And I think that, you know, if we can get some semblance of that back, and that's what I'm pointing to with all these different factions, these things going on, that, um, you know, at least I have hope. I, I don't know if I'll live long enough to see it, but, you know. <laughs> no, I think you're on to something. and. I'm that's why I brought you all here because it's a different perspective and my walls are a little smaller because it's me and a few contractors and my clients. So I, that's yep. why I want to bring other guests on the show. One other question I had, and I talked about this uh, offline between the, our station break is how can a faith-based business or I'm sorry, Christian faith business balance profit, social responsibility, and taking care of employees. I had, again, my experience was it's only one, and it's anecdotal. It was I worked for a group that had a lot of a Christian sect, I guess we should call it. Is it a movement? Is it a sect? I don't know what they're called, but I, I'd rather not call them out here, I think, out of respect. Right. Out of respect. Yeah. But boy, it was like, if you weren't in that club, you yeah. weren't paid, you weren't, you, you weren't promoted, and furthermore, if they had that value system, why did they only pay me less than 1% on mainframe software, Bob? I thought they're supposed <laughs> to motivate the salespeople. Remember, you're a sales trainer. So oh, I remember they, fighting for like 300 bucks when yeah. I helped. I was the assistant on a deal. I, did, I, I got the assist, not to use a sports metaphor. I didn't score the goal, but I got the yeah. assist on a $30,000 <laughs> deal. And they're like, oh, I had to fight for 300 bucks. And I used my oh. CRM data to prove my conversations. <laughs> Yeah, wow. I can't explain that. There's a lot of this that goes on in all different kinds of realms that you don't belong to the club kind of thing. I know that a organization that my wife worked was right from the top, very Notre Dame, <laughs> you know, and it was like, okay, you know, Notre Dame, you're in, you know, kind of thing. And yep. these clubs exist. This, this stuff has been on since the dawn of man, you know, mm -hmm. when you think about it. I mean, just go back to all the tribes 3,000 years ago and how they were tribal. I mean, it's kind of the same thing in a way uh, that you gravitate towards similar things. And, you know, that's why there's wars, too. <laughs> people, well, a lot of it's now, unfortunately, created through politicians, not by the people that are having to suffer and get through all that. But I feel bad, Mark, that you went through something like that. And, and it's the same thing with faith. People get turned off if they had a bad experience. They went to a church or somebody said something differently or there was a judgment against them or something like that. And all of a sudden, oh, religion's bad. Faith is bad or that's bad. And we go through this based on our experiences. And I can't sit here and say that I'm going to talk somebody out of their belief or a bad experience. I will just see that what's the alternative? How, well, how's your wife, life going for it right now without something that you can or believe just, in? Or just be quiet and listen to somebody. And Absolutely. Just, 
you know, mm-hmm. I, 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 got, I used this phrase when I went through my, I call it the troubles uh, from <laughs> between my divorce, the years between my divorce, practically losing my company and losing a lot of other things, like a lot of, if not all my money, I, I was in a big support group. It was secular based, but we did meet at a Methodist church that I always tell Cynthia. Sure. And uh, we met in this, and it was called like, I called it shut up and listen. Mm-hmm. Yep. Because <laughs> problem solving was the opposite of empathy or mm-hmm. you're, you're not here to debate it. So uh, that I think if you at least, it sounds like you do a good job of that, Bob, just listening if they had a bad experience and if yep. they feel heard, it, I think it lowers the blood pressure on their side just enough, maybe a little more yeah. and a little more. I would tell you the biggest issue that we face in this country is the need to be understood. You know, ask any psychologist, psychiatrist, bartender, or hairdresser, you know, they they, they listen to the troubles all, all day long, you know, mm-hmm. and people want to be heard. You're right. They want to be understood. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and that's the old age adage. God gave you two ears and one mouth. Use them in those proportions, you know. So there's a lot to be. As a matter of fact, there was a big article by McKenzie about uh, executive listening that just came out. And boy, I'll tell you, it, there was a lot of things I pulled out of it that I thought to myself, wow, yeah. You know, <laughs> well, what were some of those things that you learned? Well, first of all, most executives don't have good listening skills. They're already forming opinions, and then you're, you're shutting down dialogue when you do that. You know, mm-hmm. you're not getting the best from people. And if you're going to say, "Hey, this is open, my door's open," or whatever, the 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 executives that I've admired the most through my whole career, and I've had an opportunity to be around a lot of them the great leaders were really people that do did two things really good. They listened and they asked great questions. And also they were people of integrity. You know, there's a lot to be said. I'm not going to go through the diatribe that everybody goes through, especially in leadership coaching and all the leadership programs that are out there. But um, there's a lot to be said for humility with leadership too. And to your point, Mark, that's at the root of listening. To be humble, to shut up and listen and not offer opinions. And if you can do that, just like the, the, you know, the program that I created for business development sales, it all started with the other side of the desk. We created what we call the buying decision model. And the buying mm-hmm. decision model basically has been through the test of time. All we did was codify it, make it you know, understandable because we packed a lot of neuroscience and behavioral science in it. But we made it very easy for people to understand. And what was really cool about it is that when I took people through that with their own examples or their own experiences, then they got it. The bulbs went off. Oh, yeah, I do that. I do that. I do that when I buy, you know. And I think that through that process, plus we teach the Socratic method of questioning. You know, there's only two educational professions that actually are trained in it. And that's healthcare and attorneys or law. And as I Wait, say, attorneys. one for good and the other one for evil. <laughs> And for those oh, who don't Lord. know in the show, for those who listeners in the show, can you discuss the Socratic method? I know it from my philosophy classes at university, but for those who don't know, what is the Socratic method? Right. Well, I, I have a little rhyme that I use because I'm one of these guys that have something to kind of trigger me. I once knew six, six wise men, they taught me everything I know. What, where, why, when, how, and who. When you uh, put out a question using one of those words or maybe a combination of them, it is almost impossible for somebody to answer the question with a yes or no. And we as a society are playing hangman all the time. Yes or no, yes or no, yes or no. And you really shut down what's, what's going on on the other side of the table. To me, we teach about discovery conversations and Socratic questioning is at the root of discovery. That's why those two professions, when you think about it, they are trained in it for a reason. If you're a patient and you're going in, the doctor has to be skilled to ask you great questions to figure out what the heck's going on with you. Mm-hmm. The ones that amaze me are veterinarians because patients can't talk to them, you know. <laughs> they, they have to really be skilled. But on the other side of that, just look at attorneys, you know, and how they're skilled at asking questions or, you know, depending upon the situation. Um, and that's really at the root of this. And if you took philosophy class, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Back when, you know, Socrates was living and, and it was all debate, you know, it was all back and forth, questions, 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 you know, in reaction to that. And that's where I found that, to your point, you have to use humility when you're doing this, because if you're coming across as knowing it, everything and that, all that in a bag of chips, you're going to go nowhere. 
But if you come across humble and you're asking great questions, thoughtful questions, by the way, and one of the things about the Socratic question method, at least what we teach, is it's got to be relevant. The question has to be relevant. I can't sit here and say, well, Mark, what do you think? Well, that's a Socratic question, but you're going to sit there and go, well, about what, Bob? <laughs> you know? So think uh, your product stinks. You got to go. Yeah. Huh? And that's a, that's a fundamental that is actually in the, the center point of apologetics. It really apologetics isn't a, a, you know, apologizing for your faith. It's really from the perspective of understanding where somebody else is coming from. And then if that opens the door for you to share your faith and what you believe in, then, you know, uh, it's great. So bring us through something. Cynthia had a question offline and it's this G7 thing mm-hmm. for the, for there's only 600 paying members right now. And maybe a few guests in the database. Mm-hmm. What is a G7? Tell us the, tell the rest of us about what a G7 is. Well, the seven G's and that's oftentimes what people want to know. What's what's the, what's the seven G's and that is gospel group grade, God grow, get give. And when you look at all of that, as I shared with you, every every meeting starts in prayer. So we have, a, actually, there's five leadership positions. There's a president, vice president, director of events, a director of, of membership, and a director of prayer. So we literally have people submitting prayer requests for all kinds of things. And I experienced that myself, you know, two years ago when I went through prostate cancer. I was just overwhelmed with the response that people gave to me. The love and the surrounding that I had was just, I, I, I had never experienced anything that intense emotionally in my life. It was just something to be, now again, that's just for me. But those are the tenets of G7. That's really what it's about, what we're trying to get across. And as I told you, the mission is to grow people spiritually and grow their business. So they're, Again, there's the business mode. That's why they get in it, because they want to be associated with a group that would also help them to help their business and vice versa and give back. And we really stress in between meetings to have one-on-one meetings with other members or a guest, or we call triads, three people meeting because it's more effective and efficient. But the yeah, whole... I've liked the triad stuff. I've done that yeah. in the non-G7 format. Tom yeah, Gottfried absolutely. does that a lot. We, we'll, we'll do yep. it. Well, the dynamics, it, it goes up exponentially for some reason. Absolutely. Like and the emphasis here, Mark, date. is yeah. the, the emphasis is really we emphasize relationships before referrals. I've been a networker for a long time, and I can tell you most of them are like drive-by shootings. You know, I call them drive-by networking. You really don't get to know anybody because you're scrambling around in 60 seconds telling everybody what you do and all that crap. This, we really want to have a relationship with people because guess what? You are not going to give. Great, you know, give trusted referrals or introductions to somebody that you don't know or that you don't exactly. trust. Yeah. And the only way you can do that is get to know them. You've got to really find out what they're about because your reputation's on the line every time you do something like that. You know, and, and as our friend Warren Buffett said, you're, you know, you can spend 40 years building a great reputation, destroy it in five minutes. Uh oh. Well, Warren <laughs> said that. I better be careful. <laughs> <laughs> By the way, you know, we lost Charlie Munger. We just lost yeah, him. Yeah, I read that. Ninety-nine yeah. years old. Yeah. Wow. He hung in there, and, and interestingly enough, he was blind. I didn't know that, and he was wheelchair bound for the last couple. Yeah, of years, I read so. that. Yeah, he had uh, lost a, a sight in one of his yeah. eyes. So with G seven, what I found different. So I've done the I'll call it the non faith based networking circuit more secular. often than not. Yeah, yeah secular, secular. We call it. Yeah, that's right. We'll call it yes, we'll call it the, the secular world. And most of it is typically the same. And it's okay. And it, it yeah. works, but you gotta yep. go in, you say, hey, here's who I am. You you speak, you give yourself a 30 second spit spiel about, hey, here's who I am. This is what I do. So I help people. Here are people who I'm looking to connect with. And you kind of hope somebody kind of filters back and forth and you hope you make Make some move that way. What's interesting about G7 to me from the outside looking in was the personal vulnerability people showed. Yeah. That was different. I mean, I've attended the BNI and LATIP. Those are two national organizations, even international organizations. And it's, you know, it's it's secular. It's let's get down to business. You know, all puns intended on my radio show title. And you just (laughs) get into it and you 
yeah, you are. Your your job is to facilitate and kind of force yourself to meet people. But boy, sharing a vulnerability like that, and then people getting together is very. It was very different from from the outside looking in. Yeah, and thank you for that, Mark. We we always really want to make people feel welcome. But like you said, I have been absolutely stunned at some of the vulnerability of people with their testimonies in a room full of people that they may know some of them well, but there are others that they don't. And to really open up the kimono like that, I have, it sends chills. I I, I got to tell you, it's highly emotional when people do that because you, you don't see that kind of vulnerability, generally speaking, in, in any of the stuff that I've been involved in, you know. For sure. It, it is definitely... And I guess maybe there's a way to connect. And, and if maybe mm-hmm. we've been talking about that. People are looking for connectivity. Yep. And I, I'll tell you one thing that's changed for me before during COVID. COVID didn't hurt me that badly. I mean, I never got I never got the sick. You know, I didn't really my life wasn't that out of sorts from it. But I'll tell you the networking came to a stop. And yep. now when I go networking again, I don't want to do the virtual stuff. I'm just like, yep, I did that already. Yeah. It, 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 especially with strangers, you're like yep. you're looking at a screen. Yep, it just doesn't it, it doesn't do it for me anymore. So, and by the way, do you know what the number one word was for 1923 or 2023? Zoom. No, authenticity. Oh, that was the number wow. one word. So, I think people are looking for it. Maybe, maybe oh, yeah. they're looking for it, and, and it's manifesting itself in your world with the ERGs and G7. Yep. Uh, maybe we're, we're on a, another precipice of change. Well, that's that's part of you know the the transformation I'm making in joining QCSS was exactly that: the authenticity, the transparency, how they treat their people. You know, when you had in an industry that has an average two, uh, 100 to 200% turnover a year, and th- these folks have an average tenure of 4.5 years with their call center agents, that says something about leadership. It's how they treat people. Right. And, you know, while I say it's, it's run by people of faith, that's why I'm connected with them because of that. It shows up. It really shows up, you know, in the way people perform and and how they react to it. And believe me, not all people are people of faith in the organization. That's not a requirement. But they, when they get exposed to it, they're glad that, that there's, there's, I can't explain it, but there's something that they're very attracted to, you know. Well, that segues into something you were talking about offline there, Bob. It was something called human to human. Yeah. Tell, tell the rest of us what that's about. And I think that came out of a discussion about millennials. Yeah. Well, <laughs> this happened to me, guys, about four or five years ago. I really had a holy discontent with uh, the relational aspect of, of the second half of millennials and the Z's, you know, because I've had quite a bit of interface with them with our, my rela- relationship with DePaul University and the Center for Sales Leadership. And I, w- I will say that their kids are better than most because uh, a lot of them are working class kids, you know, are from working class families. But the point was that I was, I'm a relational guy. I, that's, I grew up with it. I, I'm surrounded with it. I'm a networker. I'm a natural connector and all that. And it just was really disturbing me that, uh, you know, in conversations with some of these young people, they can't look you in the eye. You know, they can't, they really don't, and they're, they're, like you said, Cynthia, they, they got anxiety, you know, and all this mm-hmm. stuff. So I wanted to do something about that. And of course, you know, God in his infinite wisdom said, well, that's great. Quit bitching about it. Why don't you do something about it? So I go out and I think, when in the thought came, when are we going to get back to being human beings instead of human doings? You know, really, what's the essence of of being human beings? And so I set out to that, and unfortunately, I got the URL for human to human, and sat on it now for about four years. And all of a sudden, it's, I'm seeing everything coming out now about culture, about civility, about mindfulness, and all kinds of things now. And I'm starting to think, well. You know, these young people had four or five years to really come into reality in the business world and other things. Maybe it's about time that maybe that's why I haven't done something with it at this point. And I'm I'm really uh, getting moved to do something. So that whole thing is about basically the theme's going to be relationships really matter, you know, mm-hmm. and and then having discussions with experts and people of stature on the on a podcast 
to talk about this and to have a dialogue as to what's going on now with all this whole movement and why why being human what does that mean in today's context what what makes us human what do we gravitate for what are we hungry for what do we need other than the basics of maslow's theory of food shelter and caring but what else is it that makes us up makes us human beings and particularly how do we do that through relationships okay so Right now, it's in its early stages, but I'm pretty passionate about doing something about it. So um, I, having had some experience with podcasting, although uh, also this time, I don't want to go it alone. Uh, I want to have a, I want to have a, a co-host with me and I want a representation from one of the people groups and I want a female speaking, particularly a female that's younger than me. So that's happening for me with Faith Marketplace. I've got a new co-host I'm really thrilled with. She's got, she's an Indian by descent. Um, fabulous. I was a former executive at Verizon. So she's education, knows what you're doing. And now she is a leadership coach. Uh, she transformed herself to be a leadership coach through John Maxwell a certified training program. And so that's faith-based and she's a person of faith. So we are equally yoked that way, but she's about 25 years my junior. And I'm excited, much like what you have going, Mark. Getting that little different perspective, you know, from a female perspective and also from being a person of a different background, you know. So um, that's about as much I can share with you about human to human right now because it's still well, in its infancy. It'll be interesting. I look forward to, to hearing that because I will be wondering if millennials will be listening in and what kind of feedback you'll be getting. That will be the target. And, and again, as you build up any kind of an audience, oftentimes you have to be a guest on somebody else's podcast, uh, oftentimes attracting a podcaster that has a, a following or a, uh, a person of interest that has a following that can bring listeners to that. <clears throat> and, and it's got to be entertaining. It's got to be something like what this is. It's got to be entertaining. It's got to be a free flow kind of a conversation. It can't be stilted. It can't be a whole bunch of just questions and answers and questions. So I'm excited about it because I'm really curious about what's happening now. And like I told you before, I've got a gentleman on the left, McKenzie, that started up the Happiness Squad. He's done an enormous amount of work there. He'll be one of my guests. Another one that started up the Kindness Games. You know, what's that speak to? That speaks to exactly what we've been talking about, you know? So being human, making those relationships. That's just wonderful. Thank you. So. Based on our discussion before we started recording, um, human to human, and really you thought, along with what you saw at that Microsoft conference and the growth of the, is it the employee resource services? Is that yeah, what it's called? resource groups. Yeah. They're resource called groups. resource groups. Yeah. It's providing you with a lot of hope of a brighter future based on what we've all experienced pre and, and, and during COVID. Yeah, I would I, characterize it, Cynthia. It's a movement, uh, and I truly believe that it's a movement that's coming across the country, and in different pockets and different ways. But yeah, mm -hmm. the conversation is getting elevated. It's there's a lot more awareness. So, well, that's that is makes me very happy to hear that. And here's praying and hoping that that will get more coverage in the general media, so people won't have so much negativity surrounding them. Well, as the old adage goes in the press, right? If it doesn't bleed, it doesn't read. So right. it probably is not going to get good news. Isn't really, you know, <laughs> something. There's been many that have tried and they failed. But the hope is that it's a broader world now, just like what you guys are doing. This podcast, you know, mm -hmm. there's a whole different uh, dimension to how we can communicate today, and and express opinions and have any of this and have a platform to do this. I think that. I'm very excited about what the, what's going on around the whole world now with people having the, the ability to do this right from their living rooms or from their offices or from mm -hmm. a Starbucks. Right. Yeah. I think I find it fun and fascinating on many levels. So I share your enthusiasm. <laughs> well, perfect. Well, as I, I, I find the, fra the phrase now, you know, have you heard the expression, the glass is half full or half empty? Yes. I've coined a new phrase. The glass is always refillable. Very nice. Oh, I like man. that. Now you got it. You got Ooh, it. So that's a nice way to close our show. <laughs> that's really cool. I like that. 
So perfect timing because we are reaching that end of the hour. So I'd like to thank Cynthia for keeping us on the level and on time today. You're welcome as always. And thank Bob, you. thanks for coming on with us. We I hope I hope we got all what you wanted to say in there. I know it's only we only had one hour, so you may have to come back for some more. If I can end out how people can get a hold of me if they're interested. Best way is my mobile. It's attached to me all the time, and it's 847-922-1498. And also go out and check out qcssinc.com, g7networking.com, and faithmarketplace.com. <laughs> we can find you. You can find me or LinkedIn. <laughs> That's wonderful. If you missed some of the show today, you can listen to the replay on Thursday at 1 p.m. Central Time on WVLP 103.1 FM or live stream at www.wvlp.org. And we store the past shows on Mark's website at www.mondocrm.com forward slash podcast. Or you can listen to the podcast on your favorite app at any time. Just search for Mark Mondo and the show will come up and you can subscribe to the show for the latest updates. And the show is now on YouTube. Just search for Mondo CRM or Getting Down to Business with Mark Mondo and the episodes will come up on your YouTube feed. Thank you very much for spending time with us today and we look forward to you joining us again next week. <music>